sweeping the floor with innovation. When did you last use your Spangler? Well, that's a question designed to stop most people in their tracks and likely to be met by mystified faces and uncomprehending stares. It's a great one to throw out at quizzes or to try and floor a class of students who think they've seen it all already. The simple answer to the question is that the Spangler might have become the generic term for a device almost the simple answer to the question is that the Spangler might have become the generic term for a device that almost all of us have and use in our homes, the vacuum cleaner. So, useful fact for the day, Mr J. Murray Spangler invented and patented the electric vacuum suction sweeper in 1907. Unfortunately, despite his hard work in bringing the device into the world, he wasn't able to sell enough of them to prevent his running out of money. He was forced to sell the idea to the husband of his cousin, Susan. The rest, at least as far as establishing such a strong brand that the name comes to define the product, is history. Because Susan was married to Mr William Hoover, a leather goods maker, and his name is the one that lives on as a widely used alternative verb for vacuuming the floor. But cleaning floors is a much older innovation story. In fact, one which dates right back to the beginnings of civilised life. After all, even when we lived in caves, it made sense to sweep the floors clear of dust and dirt. Otherwise, it would have a nasty habit of getting into our food, stuck between our teeth, generally making a nuisance of itself. Archaeologists date the broom, a simple cleaning tool which probably originated with a few leaves tied to a stick, uh, back as far at least as 2300 BC. But it wasn't really until 1797 that Massachusetts farmer Levi Dickinson noticed the struggle which his wife was having trying to keep the floors of their farm clean, that things moved significantly forward. He experimented, a typical farmer innovation approach, trying stuff out to see if he could make it work. He played with various constructions and eventually came up with a broom made from sorghum, which is a particularly stiff grain which grows tall like corn and had the right kind of properties, stiff, strong, and it didn't fall apart over time. So Dickinson made a few brooms for his neighbours and friends and got a lot of positive feedback. Within three years, the whole family, wife and three sons, were employed along with anyone else they could drag in to make and sell hundreds of brooms right across New England. By 1850, this new application for sorghum led to its being rechristened broom corn. But there's another big problem with sweeping, apart from having the broom, and that's the having to do it. It's hard work, dusty and gritty. So anything which might help mechanise the process, make it a bit easier, should be sure to find a market. At least, that's what occurred to Daniel Hess back in 1860. This inventor from Iowa changed the carpet sweeping game by developing the first mechanical carpet sweeper. He drew the idea for one, though no one's sure whether he actually built it. It was cumbersome, but the principle was interesting. As he explained, the nature of my invention consists in drawing fine dust and dirt through the machine by means of a draught of air. Now that sounds quite close to our vacuum cleaner concept, 
but in Hess's case, it was manually operated with the user working a pair of bellows to create the suction, somewhat limiting the advantage since it was really replacing one form of work with another. But Hess's idea sparked others, notably Eve McAfee of Chicago, whose design, launched in 1869, used a fan instead of bellows to move the air. And his machine stood upright, which took some of the effort out of what would otherwise be rather back-breaking work. He was also a lot smarter in the marketing area than Hess, focusing on the user experience rather than the device itself. As he put it in his patent application, the accumulation of dust and dirt in dwelling houses is a source of great annoyance to all good housekeepers. To obviate these difficulties is the object of my invention. Unfortunately, the machine, which he christened the whirlwind, didn't really take off. It was expensive, selling for $25, which in today's money would have been about $450. And since the user still had to work a hand crank to drive the fan, it wasn't that much easier to use than a simple broom. But elsewhere, other inventors began playing with the idea of improving on the broom rather than replacing it. In Britain, a number of them went after the commercial market, patenting ingenious devices for road sweeping, which could also be adapted for home use. The operating principles were generally simple, based on pulleys and cranks worked by hand, which somehow rotated a brush to push dirt into a receptacle. One Hiram Herrick of Boston patented a carpet sweeper in 1858, though it's often argued he reinvented this from a British idea. But the big theme in all of these was essentially combining some form of rolling brush with a dustpan. It was really in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that the next big step came, with Melville Bissell's machine, which he patented in 1876. His wife Anna possibly deserves the credit for the initial invention. She was fed up with being the one having to clean the carpet in their shop at the end of the day. They sold crockery and china, and they used sawdust to help package the plates and cups to help prevent breakages. Unfortunately, this sawdust found its way onto the floor and into the carpet, where it was a real pain to remove with a traditional broom. She had words with Melville who went on to build her a carpet sweeper, based on a wooden box with wheels with brushes on their axles. As the dirt was swept up, it was collected into the box, a system which worked well enough to attract the interests of friends and neighbours. Pretty soon, Melville and Anna were spending all their spare time making and selling the Grand Rapid Sweeper, which he had thoughtfully patented turned out to be a good move, since a wave of imitators tried to enter this growing market. But the Bissells successfully defended and saw them all off, building their first factory, making in volume the sweepers under the Bissell name in 1883. And that business is still making sweepers today and still owned by the Bissell family. Although a great improvement, the Grand Rapids model, which was sold under the Eubank brand name in Europe, was still effectively manually operated. An advance on the broom certainly, but with limitations. Other inventors were looking to try and develop a powered machine. And that was something which new power sources were beginning to make a distinct possibility. One example was John Thurman's pneumatic carpet renovator, 
which he developed in St. Louis in 1898. This used a gasoline engine which produced a powerful blast of air, not so much sucking as blowing the dirt into a bag. The idea was interesting, and the results reasonably effective, but it was something less than a portable device, coming in the form of a big machine towed around on a horse-drawn carriage. He charged $4 a visit for the service, which in today's money would be close to $120. And it had its limitations, including being very loud, which had the unfortunate side effect of scaring the horses and sending them careering off down the street with the machine rocking away behind them. A similar approach was taken by the British inventor Hubert Booth, who was an experienced engineer who worked with the Royal Navy. He adapted Thurman's idea, but improved on it by using the engine to create a vacuum which would essentially suck up the dirt. His Puffing Billy was a big red gasoline-powered wagon, again pulled by horses, and it was often to be seen parked outside large houses in Victorian London, with hoses snaking inside through doors and windows, extracting dust and dirt, and leaving the rooms inside pristine. His skills in marketing the service led to some high-profile commissions. For example, in 1902, he won the contract to clean Westminster Abbey ready for the coronation of King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. And the royal couple were so impressed that they then went on to buy booth machines both for Windsor Castle and for Buckingham Palace. Booth design worked well, but it was big. And one solution adopted by wealthy families with large houses was to install a variant of the puffing billy as a central fixed vacuum unit at the heart of the house. This could then be connected to rooms when staff wanted to clean them. And this, of course, began to open up a market in the commercial sector in big buildings like hotels and offices. But it did leave the mainstream domestic market pretty much untouched. And it's at this point that our friend Mr. Spangler comes on the scene. In 1907, he was working as a janitor in an Ohio department store, having had a somewhat checkered career. He'd always been something of an inventor, certainly not afraid to experiment. In his earlier days, he had developed and patented a useful device for helping with harvesting grain and adding a number of improvements to make it adjustable for different grain heights. And he'd patented other ideas, a multifunction hay rake and a velocipede wagon, a form of bicycle-powered cart. But none of these ideas had made him much money, which is how he found himself, aged 60, sweeping the floor in Hollinger's department store after the customers had gone home. His chest had never been good. He was asthmatic, and the last thing he needed was a job which involved swirling up lots of dust as he pushed the company's old floor-sweeping machine around. So he set about trying to improvise something better, using a wonderful mixture of whatever came to hand. A broom, a leather belt, a pillowcase, an electric motor culled from an old ceiling fan, a rotating brush cannibalized from a broken carpet sweeper, and an old soap box. He played around with a contraption which had the distinct advantage of being portable and upright, essentially making a motorised version of the old Daniel Hess idea. It also added the idea of a motorised brush which could loosen the dirt before it was sucked up. It worked, 
sucking up the dirt and blowing it back into the pillowcase which he emptied from time to time. It's perhaps not entirely fanciful to think that he'd made a connection between the early crop harvesting equipment he'd designed and this new idea for a vacuum cleaner. Excited at the possibilities, he developed and improved on various prototypes and in 1908 was awarded US patent number 1073301 for his electric suction carpet sweeper. He borrowed money, persuaded friends to invest and began trying to make the machines, but to no avail. He couldn't raise enough to set up manufacturing and was only able to make three machines a week, even with the help of his son and wife. It looked like he was about to fail again. But fortunately, he'd given a test version of his machine to his cousin Susan. She was delighted with its performance, enthusiastically telling her husband about this great new machine. Which is how it came about that William Hoover branched out from the leather goods business and into the world of vacuum cleaners, buying Spangler's patent in 1908 and beginning to build the business which was to make his name and fortune. What Hoover brought to the party, apart from money, was a lot more business acumen. Unlike Spangler, Hoover was an experienced salesman and realised that their first model, the Model O, was wonderful but also pretty expensive, selling for $60. He needed to grow the market, and fast, if he was to succeed. And he did so by a variety of novel marketing approaches. He pioneered the use of door-to-door -door salesmen working on commission who would demonstrate and help diffuse the new product. And he took space in the Saturday Evening Post newspaper, offering a free 10-day trial for anyone who requested it. He built a network of local retailers to help deliver on this and to capture the sales which followed. It worked. By the end of 1908, he'd sold 372 Model O's, and four years later, the product was being sold right around the world. Ten years after its launch, the market for vacuum cleaners in the United States was for over half a million machines. By 1920, it exceeded one million and kept on growing. By 1941, over 100 million units had been shipped from Hoover and his major competitors in the USA alone. The Hoover effectively became the dominant design for the product, inspiring many imitators but he was able to sustain his strong market presence through a robust business model and continuing innovation. He improved on Spangler's original design, adding many new features, including a steel case, casters, and, borrowing from experiences elsewhere, the range of fittings and attachments which would make the Hoover such a versatile workhorse. Importantly, Mr Spangler wasn't forgotten, and he was able to see his brainchild grow and even to help with its development in the early years, contributing several of the ideas and additional patents to the Hoover machine until his death in 1915. Close attention to the way in which the product was used led to developments like disposable bags and the beater bar in 1919, which famously beats as it sweeps as it cleans an advertising strapline still popular 50 years later. Innovation tends to follow a pattern of occasional radical step change followed by long periods of improvement, 
of polishing, getting the bugs out of the system, learning to do what we do a little better. The early fluid phase in which many entrepreneurs cluster, each offering a new take on the emerging possibilities, gives way to a dominant design, one which lays down the tracks along which the industry will develop for a sustained period. And that was certainly the case in this industry. Many new players entered the rapidly growing market and drove down the price, improved the quality and offered a number of variations on the core theme. The handheld vacuum cleaner, the pull-along model, machines with various kinds of air filtration and so on. But innovation is also a pattern of punctuated equilibrium. Every so often, a mature marketplace characterised by gentle tides of improvement is suddenly stirred up by something significantly new. In October 2000, the air inside Court 58 of the Royal Courts of Justice in London rang with terms like bagless dust collection, cyclone technology, triple vortex and dual cyclones as one of the most bitter of patent battles in recent years was brought to a conclusion. On one side was Hoover, with its eponymous vacuum suction sweeper at the heart of a consumer appliance empire. On the other, a lone inventor, James Dyson, who had pioneered a new approach to the humble task of house cleaning, and then seen his efforts threatened by an apparent imitation by Hoover. Eventually, the court ruled in Dyson's favour. This represented the culmination of a long and difficult journey which began in 1979, 70 years after Mr Spangler's moment of frustration in his Ohio department store. Dyson was using, ironically, a Hoover Junior vacuum cleaner to clean his house during some renovation work. He was struck by the inefficiency of a system which effectively reduced its capability to suck the more it was used, since the bag became clogged with dust. He tried various improvements, such as a finer mesh filter bag, but the results weren't promising. The breakthrough came with the idea of using industrial cyclone technology applied in a new way to the problem of domestic cleaners. Dyson was already an inventor with a track record, and one of his products was a wheelbarrow which used a ball instead of a front wheel. This was painted black using a powder-coated process which generates a lot of dust which needs to be extracted quickly. To do so, the company used a cyclone, a well-established engineering solution to the problem of dust extraction. Essentially, it's a mini-tornado which is created within a shell and the air in the vortex moves so fast that particles of dust are forced to the edge where they can be collected while clean air moves to the centre. Dyson began to ask why this principle couldn't be applied in vacuum cleaners and soon find out. His early experiments with the Hoover were not entirely successful. But eventually he applied for a patent in 1980 for a vacuum cleaning appliance using cyclone technology. It took another four years and 5,127 prototypes. Even then he couldn't patent the application of a single cyclone since that would only represent an improvement on an existing and proven technology. He had to develop a dual cyclone system, which used the first to separate out large items of domestic refuse – cigarette ends, dog hairs, cornflakes and so on – and the second to pick up the finer dust particles. 
But having proved the technology, he found a distinct cold shoulder on the part of the existing vacuum cleaner industry represented by firms like Hoover, Philips and Electrolux. In typical examples of the not-invented-here effect, they remained committed to the idea of vacuum cleaners using bags and were unhappy about the prospect of bagless technology. This is perhaps not entirely surprising since they were making a significant income on selling replacement bags for their vacuum cleaners. Finally, in 1993, 14 years after the initial idea, Dyson launched the product and it quickly grew to be a success, technically and commercially. Dyson now runs a design-driven business employing over 12,000 people, has a presence in 70 countries and a turnover in 2019 of over $5 billion. The lion's share still comes from his range of vacuum cleaners and in 2004 he had the satisfaction of overtaking Hoover in terms of US sales. That of course isn't the end of our vacuum cleaner story though it does bring us up to date. Despite an innovation history that goes back at least 200 years, there's still scope for change. Predictions are that the market for household floor cleaning devices, currently worth around $10 billion a year, will grow by 10% for the next decade. And there will be newcomers. Already we've seen widespread adoption of first-generation vacuum cleaning robots, and these are likely to become cheaper and smarter more sophisticated elements in smart homes of the future. Well, most of us would be happy to see the task of sweeping up finally out of our hands, especially if the robots could also do something about the infernal noise that vacuum cleaners make. But it's worth sparing one more moment to reflect that even the most mundane household chore can carry with it some valuable lessons for learning how to manage innovation more effectively. <laughs>